0: I see you. Yeah, you. Flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases? Or one-size-fits-all quick-fix schemes that never seem to fit? My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world-changers who are tired of the status quo. Willing to throw it all up to see what sticks. Willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you, but don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. Give you a little background of the book of judges. Judges represents a moment following Joshua. So if you think about the children of Israel, they've been led by Abraham, and then uh, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and uh, a ways of things, and then they ended up in Egypt and began to be overrun by a country that began to use them for work and labor because they were scared of their numbers and what they represented. and then he sent Moses to take them out, and Moses led them through the wilderness, and then Joshua led them into the promised land. And post-Joshua, you'd think they would know their heritage. They would think they would have everything figured out. But the book of Judges is centered around a moment where they just lost it. They are now in a land of promise, a land where they've been told they would have authority. They would have all this provision. And what do they do? They take over these areas, and then they let these people that they took over take over them. From the inside out, if you will, they, in their heart, in an empathetic heart of when they overtook these cities, they allowed these people, instead of just defeating all of them, they let them to come in. But in that moment, they had, didn't know God for who he was. This is where I think you have to understand where this sermon series is coming to. Abraham knew the Lord as his provider. Moses knew the Lord as his banner. And why did he tell Moses? Moses, write this down. Go tell Joshua because people need to know this. Not only you need to know this, people need to know this. Because eventually there's going to be a time when you're going to be gone. Joshua is going to be gone. And if the people don't know it, they'll be seeking something else. Judges represents this. And it represents realistically who we are as a people because we don't know him although we never had the access like they did to knowing him. We're coming at it from a whole different lineage. So Judges is post-Joshua, his group of people now overrun by different beliefs inside of their own beliefs, and they begin to chase what emotionally makes them feel good because they do not know God. Y'all see where we're at. What's the whole purpose of this series been? It's not just to alter your life it's to alter your understanding of who God is because the moment you know who God is, it will alter your life. If it doesn't, I can assure you, you really don't know God. We're gonna talk about that today. And I think that's the problem in church as a whole. We have a lot of people who know God, but their lives have not been altered. So then the question is, do you really know him or do you know of him? Do you know people who know him so you know about him I can tell you, this was me growing up. I knew about God because I knew my parents, and I knew how much my parents knew about God, but there came a time in my adult life, post-Arkansas, uh, when I joined the Navy and got on my own, I realized I didn't know what I said I knew. I knew all the stories. I knew all of their testimony. I knew all the things that needed to be said to validate myself to other people. You know the one person I couldn't validate who God was to? me this is why this is important this is why we need to remove the boundaries of our life and pray for a god that would alter our lives because it's the moment we lay down the things that have become valuable to us then we begin to understand how valuable he is it changes your worship because you're no longer coming in with your feelings and emotion of what he has done or has not done and if he's worthy of my worship today In that moment, you realize he is always worthy of your worship. It's the time when your dad or your mom got on to you and you didn't like it at the time, but later you realized it saved you from something bigger and you realized how important they were in your life. Now, this is a hard statement to make because I have good parents in my life and I can remember those moments that they did things I didn't like. But some of you did not have that parenting moment. So then it's hard to go back to this God, because then we see God through this filter, this broken perspective of what our parents have been, because parents are human. Mine didn't get it right all the time, but they did a pretty good job of it. Do I get it right all the time? Heck no. I get it wrong sometimes. I can be emotional. Amen? You should have had the biggest amen in here, and I'd have been okay with that. So trying to understand God the Father is a different level of understanding of parenthood. Because he created you, knew you were going to mess up, even though he gave you an amazing purpose, each and every one of you. And then not only did he do that, to really seal the deal, he sent his son to die for you. Why? Because you matter that much. More importantly, that you matter that much, the world around you matters that much. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this on earth as it is in heaven. Guess what we are, Christians? We are gateways from heaven. Because we know him. We have the Holy Spirit, which is God in us. Jesus was Emmanuel. This ain't even my nose. We ain't got my notes yet. Jesus, this may be a six-week sermon series. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. He was with them, physically, in body, right there beside him. The the moment Jesus left this earth, he said, I'm sending you a comforter, the Holy Spirit, which will be God in you. So this and this is God in the earth. So if we have God in us, guess what we are in situations and circumstances we walk into? We are access points to God. So then the purpose of altering this is so that, damn, I don't even wear this shirt for the reason, but here we go, is so that when they see the gateway, it is not off-putting, it is not offsetting, it is not going against who this God is. When we're not altered, then we cannot adequately take the God into those places. It becomes what they see not what they experience. We become a filter for who God is. This is the purpose of the series. Our emotions don't drive God. Then I going to think about this this week. For 40 years, they were in the wilderness following the smoke by day or the cloud by day and the fire by night. And you're like, well, God, if you were leading them, why didn't you just lead them straight to the promised land? See, they did have some control over where they went. Because if they would have got right in the first day, he would have took them straight to the promised land. But because they didn't, the smoke or the fire and the cloud continued to circle. Because I'm taking you into a place of purpose, but I need you to be prepared for that. God cared enough for them not to put them in a place where they would be instantly killed. Because with a limited mindset of how big the giants were, what they didn't deserve, the moment they walked in, they would have been overran, the children of Israel would have been dead, gone. He cared for them enough to march them for 40 years in a place of wilderness because they weren't ready to go to the next place. That's the other place part of this altering experience. God loves you enough that he's not gonna take you into a place that you're not ready for or you're ready to give him access to to begin to see and listen to his promises of who he is. Why? Because the moment they walked in the promised land, there was one thing that they had to be assured of, not who they were, who he was. Because if they were the children of God, you better know who God is. Well, we're the children of God. Well, who's God? I don't know. It's this voice that comes out of nowhere, talks to this dude with a staff, and we just follow him. That sounds real reassuring, right? That's what the church has become. You need to come to my church on Sunday and you need to hear my pastor because he knows what he's listening to. And evidently I'm a child of God because he told me that and he knows God. So All in all, we're good. Are we connecting to the heart of where this sermon series has been? Now you know what I've just been chewing on all week and conversations, and then I get into the Word this morning to Gideon, and this this is the purpose. We don't have it figured out, regardless of where you're sitting or standing today. We don't have it all figured out the purpose of our altar moments are to have more and more access to him so we realize the things we need to let go, the broken things we need to let go, the things that we've held onto that really weren't as valuable as we thought we were because when we let go, we were able to grab a hold of more of him. More of him positions us to be that love, that grace, and that mercy that's been poured out into us to go through us to the people in the world who need it. These are the life-changing messages in the world around us, not because I'm preaching them, because this is what he's trying to get into the church. Because this ejects you from this place. Those altar moments eject you from them because you carry a fresh revelation of who he is to someone who doesn't know him. I want to be altered for those that need to be altered. That's where it's at. I want to be altered so that my kids see God in me. And even I'm okay to say the moments I miss it, that wasn't God. That was Anthony. That was your daddy falling a little short. I need to be closer to him so that you can see more of him in me. That's where we got to get as a church. Okay, I'm getting right into it now, okay? I promise. But I told you, that's why I just split this up. Three, four, five, six, whatever. I'm going to read this little part of the scripture we've been reading. We talk about Paul in Athens, talking to men who had all these altars, all of these uh, memorials, idols built to all these gods that they didn't really know. They just assumed they were because they needed to touch and feel something. They needed to have access to this higher power. So they put names on it and they had one that said to the unknown God, if you haven't been with us, I encourage you to go read this in Acts uh, 17, because this is where a lot of us are. We, like the Romans and the Greeks, we didn't know this God. So we've put things in our life as idols, as gods. We don't have official names for them, like Zeus uh, or, Harry, or, or, or Hera or um, any of those names. We haven't assigned uh, Poseidon. We haven't put names to them, but realistically, we have. Every one of us have gods that we worship in our life, either ones we've assigned or ones that have been given to us. So then when we meet Christ, when we come to know this God a little bit, it's a constant grabbing a hold of the God, the only God, and the only way you can grab a hold of him fully is to let go of your other gods. So what is Paul telling these guys? You've had it all figured out, but not really. But you're closer than you think because you left an open door. You put an altar out there for this unknown God, and realistically, you've been very close. And I just want to connect you with this. And Paul says to them in verse, I'm going to skip down, Joey, work with me, 26 and 27. And Paul is telling them it's not in the, the brick and the mortar and the stones and all that. It says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. He's connecting with them. You're a part of the puzzle. All you, all you uh, people here that I'm speaking to, you're a part of the puzzle. You were put here, but you came out of one man. Even though you're your own culture, your own community, your own society, you came from Adam. And, and the boundaries of their dwelling place. But this is what you'll need to hear today. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him yet he is actually not far from each one of us what he's saying is all of these altars that you've built all of these memorials you've built is actually you feeling around in the dark trying to find something but the one you left open for the unknown God is showing that we're actually not that far away you're just spending not enough time at the right altar y'all with me Today, we're going to get into, uh, actually, before we get there, I want to read this passage in 2 Thessalonians 3.16. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, it'll be on the screen. Now may the Lord of peace, say that with me, the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way, the Lord be with you all. This is a declaration of an identity that we're about to get into. What is Paul saying to the Thessalonians? You need to know who God is. Who is God? May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times. That demonstrates not only who he is, but the provision he has access to. It's not peace when you need it. It's not peace in this moment when everything's going good. Peace at all times, which is a peace, Morgan mentioned this morning, that the scripture says, the peace that passes all understanding. This is the abundance of God that he speaks in all things. It is bigger than you can imagine. What's the one thing this world needs right now? Peace. You could have said a lot of things. Love. If you think about it, it's all the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, the big three right off the top. If the world had those, it would be operating a lot different. If it had God's intended love, joy, and peace. Let me put it that way. We've settled for love, joy, and peace and what those are. At all times, anyway, the Lord be with you all. This is a declaration at the end of this letter. In the midst of all the stuff they're going to, Paul's saying, you serve the Lord of peace. So I want to get into Judges now, and I'm going to read a part of it, and then we're going to get around the story. So in Judges 6:23 and 24, I want to read this altar moment to you, and then we'll get to the story that precedes it today. Judges 6, 23 and 24. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. In our language, it is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is Peace. A declaration of who God is at an altar. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah. That's not Oprah, it's Ophrah. Everybody don't get a car. Everybody gets peace. (laughs) Ha ha! Sorry, stick with me. Which belongs to the uh, Abiezrites. Okay, let's get into this today. i got to open my Bible back. I'm just closing it, which means they're going to start music, and then we're done. (laughs) Ta-da! I have preached a lot today. Already. I hope y'all been eating. I hope you've been writing notes. I hope it sparks something in you because that's the thing. I don't ever want you to come out here like, wow, I have a lot to eat. I hope this is like an appetizer, a spark that sets a flame in you. Something that says, that's an area I need to go back and look at in my life. What gods do I have in my life? What altars am I stuck at? What are the things I'm continuing to worship that's limiting God in my life? All those things are personal moments that you have to take out of this corporate moment. There is no dot, dot, dot. There's no path that you can follow. Everybody can walk here and follow the same path because we're all at different locations. The key is following Jesus. Regardless of where you start, that's got to be our pursuit. So in this story of Gideon, we find in this moment, and what you'll find as you read Judges, I encourage you, it's not a long book, but there's a lot of amazing stories. How many of y'all know the story of Samson? Yeah, that's the big one that comes out of Judges. Gideon's the other one. That's like the two big stories that he taught us in children's church along with others, but everybody knows those for a lot of the reasons, because mostly we find ourselves in these people. Little dudes, broken, have their own faults and misunderstandings, and God chooses to use them. This is where we like to preach these sermons in church a lot, like God wants to use broken you. Yeah, but he don't want you to stay broken. That's the message that the world wants you to God uses broken people. Yeah, but he don't want you to stay broken. God called broken people. Yeah, but he didn't want them to stay broke. Peter, come follow me. You can't follow Jesus to stay where you were and stay who you were. It's the calling. So Gideon, in this moment where the, the children of Israel are in Canaan operating, but they've been overtaken. They begin to worship all these other gods. God shows up. To Midian, one night in the midst of all this, and this angel appears to Midian, and he begins to talk to him. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, "The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor." Now, if you know anything about Gideon, and we don't know a lot about him at this point, but right at the beginning, it talks about. um I'm trying to think where it says in here. I thought it did. Maybe I just made this up in my head. I didn't write this down. Oh, here we go. He skipped down, so Gideon actually says it about himself. Because Why? Because when God shows up to us, we want to tell him who we are, right? Especially if we're weak. It's that place of the altar, right? Oh, God, what are you doing here with me? You, you don't know me. <laughs> I know you. Well, you don't know who me because you called me man of valor. And <sighs> let me tell you about my yesterday. I ain't going to talk about last week. Let me tell you about my yesterday. It's still fresh. People around town know me. I wouldn't say I'm a man of valor. And you'll see this in Gideon's actions. You'll see this in his posture. He was not a very strong and confident man because he's in this place. And there's a struggle in him because of these gods, because things going on. There's a struggle in him saying, I don't feel this. There's, there's a nudge. That's why he's aware when an angel comes and begins to challenge him in this. There's a discernment in our spirit, whether we know it or not. And you'll meet moments where God comes and speaks to you and you'll hear it and other people won't. That's why he comes to you. Every one of us has had a discerning moment, if you know Christ, that he got your attention in a place that somebody else, he wouldn't get their attention. When you look around and you're like, why am I crying right now? Why is the pastor preaching right at me? Because that was your place of discernment. This is Gideon's. He shows up to Gideon, speaks what he sees, not what he sees. This is the MO of God. This is why knowing God is important. Because then as we're called to operate, as vessels of God, we operate differently. Angel of the Lord shows up, doesn't see Gideon, he sees Gideon, man of valor, almighty oh, man of vow. So in that moment, Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Right there, in his moment, he's beginning, if you're real, why did all this happen? How many of y'all have ever said that prayer before? Like when you verse me, if God is real, then why... Does cities get destroyed by storms? Why do babies die? Why We want to put all the negative of the world on God. Gideon in the same place, like, why is all this happened? And if God wanted to, he could have stepped back and been like, Oh, Gideon, you want to know why this happened? Let me give you a, a fallout here real quick. So-and-so did this when I told him to do this. Then they did this, and I told him to do this. But then they did this instead of doing what I told him to do the first time. Then they circled around a mountain for 40 years. Then they finally got it right, and they got in the promised land. They got all this abundance, everything, everything was going good. And they thought they had it figured out, and they didn't need me anymore. So when I told them to do this, they said, "We'll keep doing it this way. And they kept doing it and kept doing it. And now here we are. Is that good for you? Does that suffice? i just sum it up real quick. It's not my fault because I am. It's y'all's fault because you are. That's the harsh Christian gospel that we don't preach. But it's real. Our problems are our own. He wants to come in and help us out of them if we listen to him. His way is always truth. His method is always love. They don't change one or the other. So he comes and he goes to, Midian and he says, or to Gideon and he says, I want to bring you out of this against the Midianites. The, Midian, the people of Midian is oppressing Israel. I want, I want to take you out of this. And instantly Gideon says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. We're the low, and I'm the lowest of the low. Why are you choosing me? Because I see something in you that nobody else does, including yourself. but I don't need you to see you. I need you to see me. This is why he comes to broken people because those are the people who are more open to seeing God for who he is. Those of us who got it figured out, we struggle because we think we could do it by ourselves. We've done it by ourselves. That's why I've seen some of the biggest people have to be put to their knees before they ever truly walk into who God is. This is a warning for you today. You shouldn't have to be put to all the way to your knees to begin to ask God who He is. Because that's an invitation. I don't think you want to extend. That's not a, ooh, He said He's going to strike me down if I don't. No, but He wants you to know Him. Start seeking Him. Don't get to the bottom before you start looking for Him. The Bible says it, Seek ye first, kingdom of God, and all His righteousness, and all the things shall be added unto you, right? been busy seeking all the other things instead of God the moment you seek him he's got you so he tells him this and right then he realizes in this moment he begins to speak to him he's like oh maybe this is God he begins to talk to him he says okay wait right there God I'm gonna run in and get a sacrifice real quick I'm gonna get this together because if we're gonna be with the angel of the Lord I need to do something so he goes in gets um he makes this unleavened bread, he gets a goat, prepares it, and he brings it out, and the angel says, okay, I want you to know this is real. He says, put the, the unleavened bread and the goat, the sacrifice, over on the rock, and he, or his staff and fire envelops the sacrifice. This is a powerful moment. What you bring, that fire, what we talked about, that refiner. When you bring yourself, fire takes out the bad And leaves the good. Look at gold. When gold's heated up, the impurities fall out and now the gold is more pure. That's the purpose of the altar right there is the refining of you. As the fire falls, the impurities begin to burn off you and you become pure in the purpose you were created with. Gideon, I'm burning off your fear in this moment at the altar. So he does that. But instantly, what happens to Gideon? As the same thing that would happen to any of us. We're sitting there, and this angel, who we're pretty sure he's an angel because he said he was, but we're not really assured of it. We're like, eh, he's just a good-looking dude, whatever. But in this moment, now he just caused fire to come on this, and we're real sure that he's something bigger than us. And he gets instantly fearful. This is the purpose of the altar. It says, and it consumed the meat and the unleavened bread, and the angel vanished from his sight. Boom. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Oh, wow, good job. It's amazing, perception comes in when it just occurs right in front of your face. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face, but the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. This is why he builds the altar right there. It's not because just all of a sudden, He's like, I just understand that God is peace. Hmm. I just spent some time with him over some worship this morning. So good. God is so peaceful. What if somebody changes the song? Does it change your peaceful worship? I heard somebody post this on Facebook this week. Be careful when our worship becomes a song for a genre instead of a posture. In this moment that Gideon had to experience, a moment of fear, a moment of realization how small he was, but also the declaration of who he was from someone who could validate it. Man of valor from an angel of the Lord. And if he called me that, oh my gosh, now it's not only a fear of who he was, it's a fear of the call to me. This is bigger than I thought. He's not joshing me. He's really calling me to do something and I don't think I'm capable of it. The fear, the anxiety, all the things creeping to Gideon, but God says this, peace be to you. This is the moment that an altar was built and in Gideon's life, he became a declaration of God is peace. This is why. God did not want Gideon responding because of fear of God, but rather through a peace in knowing God. There is a connection that begins to occur at this place. See, this is the God that we've been told is God wants you to operate out of fear. And and then we take scripture out of the Bible that says you're supposed to have a fear of God, right? But in this moment, what he's actually saying is the fear, and we talked about this a few weeks ago if you were here on Mother's Day, about what the fear of God actually represents. But I'll get to that in a minute. But what he's doing is transitioning from the fear of the unknown. In that moment, Gideon didn't know God. He knew of God. He knew what he had heard. That's why when the angel of the Lord showed up, he began to question God, why would you allow this to happen? See, if he'd have known God the provider, known God the banner, he would realized they're not being provided for and they're where they were because they weren't trusting his provision and they weren't following his banner. See how easy that is? He doesn't do all of these things for then, well, I know God the provider, but I don't really know the banner. That's why you're off in no man's land and you're really providing for yourself because that's not his provision. When you begin to know the aspects of God, it aligns or misaligns with your life and you realize how you connect and move forward. If Gideon would have known God the provider, he would have looked at what they didn't have and said, this is not God's plan for us. God brought Abraham out so that he would bless him and bless all nations. Not only are all nations not being blessed, but we're not being blessed. Or actually what was happening, the Midianites were being blessed at the cost the children of Israel. That's not what God's plan was. I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing. So if he'd have known God in that regard, it would have changed his posture. The second is the Lord is my banner. I know if I'm following God, then I wouldn't end up in this place of brokenness and weakness and insecurity and enslaved to a group of people that I was called to have authority over. But in that moment, God doesn't try to reveal himself in those places. That comes. I'm going to connect with you where you're at. Gideon, you'll know me in those places, but I need you right here right now to know that I am peace because you're in a place of chaos and a place of confusion. So I'm going to get your attention where you're at. I'm going to get your your attention in your limitations because you need to know me and the peace I can bring in this moment because I'm going to take you in a place where peace is not going to be there. And if you don't realize I'm walking with you in peace, then you're going to struggle. Romans 15, 13 says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. This is for us. When we come to know God, and we're the the Romans, right? That had all these altars, all these things. We don't really know God. We know of God. We live in a country that's founded in, in the Christian faith for the most part. But realistically, you can live in America and know all these Christians and not know God. You can sit in a church your whole life and not really know God. It's quiet in here. I stepped on y'all's feet last week, and you're back, so evidently we're good. I'm only preaching what I've experienced in my own life. So we have to understand that He wants to meet us where we're at, and He wants us To know him. But in this scripture, Romans 15, 13, it's a declaration. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. When you begin believing in him and you begin connecting in him and you begin to know more about him, joy and peace will follow because that's who he is. If you get in his presence, you cannot doubt the love, joy, peace, patience, long suffering. You can't doubt the fruit of the spirit because it's the nature of God. That's like going into an apple orchard and expecting oranges to be there. It ain't going to happen. You walk into an apple orchard, guess what you're going to smell? Apples. Guess what you're going to see? And if you take a bite, guess what you're going to taste? That's why he uses fruit to tell you who he is. That's the third week of this sermon. Oh, taste and see. We'll get to that. I don't want to step on that one. That one's going to be a good one. So that... I love to see this. So that again. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Gideon, you're about to do something bigger than you. You're about to invite people into something that I'm not talking to them one on one. And your revelation of who I am will bring hope to them or continue their message of hopelessness. How am I going to do that? By pouring joy and peace into you. By bringing you peace, you'll abound by believing in me and hope for those. I'm sending you a golden corral of hope because you were willing to take a bite of peace. Okay, y'all with me? Judges 25 and 32. So now, as he builds this altar, that's all good, right? I built an altar to the Lord. Yes, I know him. Now God's like, okay, and this is gonna be the struggle part for all of us. He said, all right, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go tear down your father's altar to Baal. The God you've been worshiping, I want you to go tear it down. This is what Paul was preaching to the Athenians, the same thing. Eventually, you're going to have to tear those altars down if you're only going to worship at that altar. You can't just leave that one there and say, I'm worshiping the unknown God and leave those up because you're maintaining a line to a broken part of you. You're maintaining an open question line out. Phone calls out, I'm just waiting on a return. If Zeus calls me tomorrow, I'm not going to believe in this one anymore. You begin to shut those off. You begin to close those down, board them up, tear those altars down because there's nothing there. Gideon, if you know who I am and you believe in me, I need you to go tear down that altar because ain't nobody ever going to answer that phone call. That's what altars are, phone calls. To know more, right? Who are you? God, if you're up there. I need you to close that door. So then... Gideon, I love Gideon. He goes and does it, but when's he do it? Nighttime, when everybody's sleeping. I can't do it in the day. If I do it in the day, it is not going to go well for your boy. Because they are not going to like it. That's God. That's their God. Baal was their God now. He was worshipped alongside, but Baal had taken a pinnacle. And if you read later on into Elijah and Elisha, they had a constant struggle with this. But there was a moment where an altar was built against the prophets of Baal, and I think it was Elijah, Elijah. get them all, I get them both mixed up. Anyways, that's my homework. Um, he told them, prophets of Baal, they cut themselves, danced and did all the things and nothing, and then Elijah puts water on it, waters it down, and the fire of God fell and converted all of them. That's an old other story, though, but an ultra moment. But in this moment, He tells Gideon to tear his father's altar down. In other words, you have to go and tear down a generational value. Something that's become valuable in your own home. See, this is not today where you lived off here and your parents lived off here. Families live together. So when he's tearing down his father's altar, he's tearing down his altar. That's what you have to understand. This altar was built by his daddy, but it was his altar. So I'm sure he had a conversation with his daddy before he went and did this because we see here in a minute a response from his dad. See, things begin to change in Gideon. Gideon probably, we can only assume this because it's not in the word, began to have conversation in the sanctity of his home. This is the power of family that we miss in the Jewish culture too. If one person heard it, his family heard it. Gideon didn't come and hold this to himself. Gideon went back into his home and began to share this with his family. But in the night, it says he took ten of his father's servants, so his dad probably needs to know that too, goes and tears down this altar, and in tearing it down, then he says, build an altar and sacrifice the goat that you've used to pull down the altar, now sacrifice that to me. This is God. In other words, take all the work you just put in to do that and give it all to me. And he sacrifices that, and then morning comes. Guys, walking out, maybe they were going to get up and do their early morning sacrifice whatever your early morning sacrifice is and the altar wasn't there anymore not only was it not there there was a new altar with an animal on fire oh what is this so they begin to snoop around do a little homework and guess what they find out Gideon has done this and there's only one way to pay for this Gideon you're gonna die So who comes to his defense? This is why I say his dad had to have known his dad, who had to have been a a very well-recognized for that altar to make a big deal, Gideon's pops, although he was, they say, the weakest of all that, he had to be known in that area because they came to his altar, and he had a voice to stop them from doing what they were about to do and killing his son. So he's just proving to him in this moment that he is He is God, that he is peace. Skip. So here, they come to kill him. After their search inquired, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, will you contend for Baal? In other words, is Baal real enough that you'll stand up for him? That's what he's saying. Have you intimately experienced Baal to a moment that you're willing to come in here and fight for it? Because evidently Gideon's experienced something that stands against what you're doing. Will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbabel. That is to say, let Baal contend against him. In other words, nobody really wanted to do anything they will say, well, Baal's going to get your butt. That's what his name now stands for. Baal's going to get you. Not in those terms, but in those terms. But in that moment, guess what Gideon does not have? Anxiety and fear over. That this non-God, that this made-up entity is going to take care of him. Why? Because there's a peace and assuredness because of a visitation from God. In that moment, this is where you see the fear of God actually taking what it is intended to be. Fear of God goes from an awful threat to a reverence full of awe. See, Baal represented an awful threat. Yet God was an invitation of To a connection, a relationship that the moment you experience him, you're full of awe. Now you have an awful reverence that overpowers an awful threat. I'm not scared of what I can't see because I'm in reverence and awe of what I did see. This is where Revelation takes you to the next place Psalm 34 11 and 14. 11 through 14. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. How do I teach you the fear of the Lord? Turn away from the things that are evil. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Fear of the Lord comes with peace. Fear of anything else does not come with peace. Fear of flying. How many of you have ever felt fl- fear of or peace in a moment of jumping on an airplane if you have fear of flying? Any of you? I hate flying. And I get on it, but I just get so peaceful when I know my hands are in the control of somebody else. Especially after I watch movies like Sully. Or Sully was the good one, right? He saved the plane. What was the one with Denzel Washington where he was? Flight, yeah. Especially after watch that. I really want to go flying. No. I'm fearful of spiders, and you would not imagine the peace that comes over me when I walk into a spider web. You want to know what a peaceful posture looks like? Spiritually, that's what we look like in our life when we walk in anxiety of all the things because we're not walking in peace of who God is. It looks ridiculous. But if we could look at our spiritual posture in this room right now, there's a lot of ridiculous because we really don't trust God. Who do we trust? The gods that we've built. The altars that we've built. The peace of of a reverent fear of God removes the fear and authority of the God's idols in your life. The moment you can trust him in peace of who he is, guess what? You'll begin to lay down the things that you thought had value to you. Because that's what it is, that fear has an authority over you. Wow, fear of God, that sounds very authoritative. Fear is authority. It is power and control over you. You'll either do the things you don't want to or do the things you feel that like you have to based out of fear. Why would you not want to do it out of a fear of a God who loves you because the Bible says so, is fighting for you because the Bible says so, has overcome sin, death, and the grave for you. This word says so. See, this is where it comes in. If you believe this, then you begin to understand who he is and there is a peace that passes all understanding based on who he is, not who you're not. So what are you going to serve? Joshua said it. As for me and my house today, we're going to serve the Lord. You're serving a fear of something. I would rather serve a fear of a God who's all-powerful with promise and a fear of something that's going to cause me to restrict how I live my life. John 14, 27, Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What is this peace he's talking about? The God in us, the Holy Spirit. I'm leaving my peace, I'm leaving a peace of me with you so you can have my peace in you. It's really what he's saying. So what is different about this peace? This peace represents different than this world. You can only serve one of two masters, right? It talks about money, but really that love of money is connected to the world and where your priorities and your values. Money is just value. So whatever you value, you'll serve or you'll serve God. One gives you peace, one gives you anxiety. The things in your life, I guarantee you, they give you anxiety are not of God. Those are the things you begin to need to release at the altar. I'll finish up with this and then we're going to be done. Judges 6, 33 through 40. So right after this, I love Gideon. After he does this, makes the altar, they go away and say, well, that's your name now because Baal's going to get you. How would you like to wear a name around and Baal's going to get you, but you know it's not going to happen? Like, yeah, you can call me Jerubal, That's cool. That's cool, right? Your God's going to get me one day. I'm still standing. Sorry. My younger people don't want to talk about Yeah, you do. You probably watched that cartoon, right, with the the monkey that plays the piano. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of Esau came together. So now in this moment of peace, why is he positioning Midian for peace? Because now he begins to position all these people against him. You know what? I'm not going to get to that. I'm just going to put that as the next week. Because That's the next step of the depth. I want you to put your place, your yourself, in the place of Gideon today, regardless of where you're at in your walk with God, because you know some of us, like me, you know, I've been in church my whole life and I've been saved for a long time and I'm good. Not physically in the place of Gideon, but there's a piece of you that needs to be in the place of Gideon. How do I know that? Because everybody in this room carries a fear of something. An insecurity about something. That's the biggest thing the enemy continues to drive people with is insecurities. Check Moses. Check Abraham. Wow, they knew God, right? Yeah, but what caused Abraham when he walked into Egypt, when he walked in to the other uh, area to say his wife was his sister? An insecurity in that he was good enough, so he lied about. Moses, what caused him not to go to the promised land? An insecurity in how he talked that was limited by what he had. See, every one of us have idols. And generally, idols are based on insecurities. Man, the Athenians, had insecurities about how little they were, so they amplified these gods based on who they weren't. Give power and authority to something because they didn't have it. What are the insecurities in your life today? Because I guarantee if you don't take notice, if you don't look at the filters that they've caused, you will react and respond based on your own insecurities, and that will push you further away from God. And what if the chains to those insecurities... I told you I'm a visual person. God showed me this like visual one day, and it was this person... And it looked like armor, but when you got closer to it, it was actually chains. And the chains were so wrapped so tightly that they could be protected from the outside. But they couldn't be healed on the inside. Because the chains of their sin and their brokenness have actually become their safety and security. God can't get to their heart because of the armor of their brokenness. The insecurities will become exactly that, will become hardened parts of us. And we won't even let God have access to it. Every one of us got him. I learn daily more and more about myself as I learn more and more about him. Over the course of the last couple years as God's, moved me and put me in different spaces, leadership and bringing me here, I can assure you I've had to stare in the face of my own insecurities. This is where that fear of God comes in. This is the difference between the good and God. This is becoming, stepping away from the brokenness of, What this says is broken and what's not broken. Challenge you today. It's in that moment of insecurity that we don't find peace. (laughs) It is an unsettling place to stare in the mirror, to really get introspective on what's been done to us, for us, or by us. God says in the place that you begin to take notice, those three things have limited you, held you back. I can step in the gap. Because what's been done for you will never be better than what I can do for you. What's been done to you will never be so bad that I can't heal it. And what's been done by you will never limit you from being called by me. In other words, what's been done to you, for you, and by you will not change God, period. So it's this moment, this is time, it's this, as you look in the mirror, God, what have I held back from you? Out of shame, disappointment? What have I held back from you because of pride? Because I think I've got it figured out. What have I held back from you? Because I just felt like I figured it out all by myself. Because I want to be altered. I want to see the need. I want to trust you. If you are who you say you are, why wouldn't I follow? Father, we thank you today for this word. We pray for the continued invitation in our life to grow, to release, to lay things down at your altar so that we can embrace a deeper revelation of who you are. Father, I pray today, as Paul said, pray that we would know the heights, the depths, the width of your love. The only way to do that is to keep digging, keep looking, keep searching. Father, I pray for the people in this room that we would not settle, that we would keep seeking your love. We would keep seeking the fruit of your spirit so we would know. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's go.